Good morning. My name is Eric Santiago. I am one of the pastors here as well. And man, it's just good to see you all gathered this morning. Um, quick reminder, this is going to be the second to last Sunday we gather in this gym. We are going to be moving to Montgomery College on June 25th. So next Sunday is our last Sunday. I trust the air conditioning may be slightly better there. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, God has been moving in such powerful ways, and it's a cool story. Uh, I also want to welcome, it appears to me, as I've met a few of you, that we have a little contingent from Difference Makers Church, speaking of great churches in the area. Yeah, welcome to you guys. It's great to have you guys here. These are the ones who are dancing during worship. Can you teach us how to dance in worship? This is good stuff. Just jump up and down. Just jump up and down. That's great. I just love that, uh, yeah, we can mix and mingle with the local churches. We have a lot of great relationships that span decades in many cases. And I wanted to also orient you guys to what we're teaching on right now. We're in a series we started last week called Chariots of Fire, and it's actually about the ministry and life of Elijah and Elisha. When God breaks in is the little tagline that we've given it because God breaks in in such amazing and powerful ways. One of the things I love about this series, when God breaks in, is that actually part of why he breaks in is is because of prayer. In this case today, it's because of the prayer of Elijah. It is just amazing that actually God wants to interact with us through prayer He doesn't just break in when he wants to, although he does that as well, or he breaks in when he wants to, but he calls us to invite him to break in. That is so powerful. And I think one of the things that strikes me is in James, the book of James in the New Testament, he speaks about Elijah. He speaks about this actual passage that we're in today. And he's encouraging them, exhorting them in the midst of actually physical ailment, and he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you believe that to be true? You go, I do, but what does righteous mean? Mm, We're going to get to that. But it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James is retelling that story briefly to encourage his audience that Elijah was no different than you and me. And what an incredible opening to what we're about to read. Because if that is true, then fasten your seatbelts honestly, he's calling and encouraging us to something much bigger than we can even wrap our brains around. James is saying when it comes to our prayer life, as we go to God for, in this case, miraculous healing, look at Elijah. He prayed and saw results. Doesn't that make you want to study how it worked in his life and ministry? Well, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing today. That's what we want to keep doing is pushing into the ministry of this man who was just a man, and yet called by God, invited by God. So previously in 1 Kings, all right, this is what I just want to kind of catch us back up. It's important to pick up the story as we had it. Trav preached so well as we opened the series last week, 
And part of what's important to understand is 1 Kings 16, just a couple chapters back, it says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. Ahab was a king that was so bad, he gets this reputation. Everyone who had come before him, none of them made God as angry as he did. But you would think, well, he's God. Just get rid of him. Amazingly, that doesn't happen. And in fact, what we saw last week is that God sends a drought for three and a half years. And as we open chapter 18, many of you are reading it. Read chapter 19 for next week. Incredible chapter. Keep reading. I mean, that one is amazing. Anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Verse one says this, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah after these three and a half years of drought. In the third year saying, go, show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Well, that is good news. And I think if you've like lived in Maryland your whole life, you don't actually get what it's like to live in the desert in a drought. I lived in California for 12 years. It is the desert. And the drought was so bad that like celebrities were coming on TV and going, only take two minute showers. Don't keep the faucet running when you brush your teeth. You go into your hotel and you know, they always say like, you don't have to wash the towels. They're like, we're not washing your towels. <laughs> like it's an issue. When you run out of water, now we were still piping water from the Colorado River. They didn't have that option. Everything had dried up. Have you ever had just the water shut off for a day in your house? It's a mess. These guys have been three and a half years. Can you imagine the desperation of these people? And then, man, good news. God's gonna make it rain. But there's a little bit more to it than that. So I wanna pick us up halfway through the chapter in verse 17. We get that bit of news And then actually Elijah encounters Ahab. And it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel, his wife's table. Baal was a false god. Baal was another god that the people of Israel, under Ahab's leadership, had decided to worship instead of God himself. Now, obviously, Ahab does not like Elijah because Elijah has been pronouncing the guilt upon him. He calls him a troubler of Israel. He says, no, no, you've got it backward. So in verse 20, it says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Well, evidently he knows better than to not do what Elijah says. (laughs) And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him him. This this passage opens with a decision. 
One of the things we often do is we, we really like to imagine ourselves as the hero in the story. Immediately, you're like, yeah, I'm Elijah. He's my guy. But I think what the Bible actually calls us to do is imagine ourselves as Elijah, imagine ourselves as the hero, but also imagine ourselves as the worst person in the story. Imagine ourselves as, as Ahab. Imagine ourselves as Israel. Imagine ourselves as the prophets of Baal. Because only then can we truly be honest with ourselves about the way our hearts are prone to wander. And when we do, these passages take on a three-dimensional view because, because actually, you know, you might say, yeah, Israel, choose. But man, I feel like this is God's message to the church today. Choose. Will you choose already? You say, well, no, I, I, I've, no, no, he's saying, will you choose? What does it look like to choose? And so I think we can be freshly confronted, not guilted or condemned. He just says, if God is the Lord is God, then follow him. If there's something else, well, then follow that. What's amazing is the next verse, it says, and the people did not answer him a word. <laughs> you'd think it's like, uh, no, 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 no. Actually, the Lord is God. And why don't they say anything? They just sit there. And I feel like in some ways we can identify with this. Well, I'm a bit jury out. I'm not sure. It's a, it's a non-committal. Something I respect is not willing to say with their mouths what their hearts aren't willing to do. But still, it just doesn't look good on the Israelites. They just don't say anything to this challenge. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So he goes into a little description of what commentator Tony Morita calls the showdown. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. I want to go, no, 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 you guys, that's the wrong answer. This isn't a good idea. The God who rescued you from slavery, who parted the Red Sea and gave you the promised land, and now you've turned your hearts away from him and you've gone to worship nothing whatsoever, effectively? Yes, let's put God to the test. Great idea, they said. We need that. The beauty of this is that it just demonstrates the utter grace of God. Like, wasn't, wasn't the blood just going, I'm gonna strike you down? It, he didn't. He was willing to prove himself. Isn't that amazing? After all they had been through and all he had done for them and all he had given and the grace that he displayed, he was still willing to take part in a test. He was willing to undergo a test 
to be pitted against nothing to prove that he is God. Incredible, incredible grace. Why does Elijah need to prove that God is the real God? And again, the fact that God is willing to participate in this just shows how kind he is, how loving he is. He is for his people. He wants to draw them back to him. And so he does that in this moment. And and actually, he's not just willing, he's initiating. He sees that they've gone astray. He sees what they've done with their lives. And he's like, "I I gotta help. They don't know what they're doing. And then Elijah said, picking up in verse 25, to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Tony Marita says, this is like a away game for Elijah. Actually, they're on Mount Carmel, which, by the way, had been a place where God was worshipped. There was an altar there. They tore it down, built an altar to Baal, And so he's giving away home field advantage and he says, you picked the bull. I picked your home field. It's 450 of you against one of me. You see how the odds are stacked against him in every way? I mean, they get worse actually, which we'll see. But you begin to realize, oh my gosh, God loves to set it up this way. He loves to come into a situation of natural and human weakness to display his glory. But so often, we're trying to be strong, and he's like, no, 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 it's not your strength I'm looking for. I am one, away game. You pick the bull. It's all up to you. And they took the bull that was given to them, And they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. I love this because what we begin to see here is actually one very simple concept. Prayer is simple. Prayer is actually simple. They carry on for hours and hours and hours. I know I've encountered, especially young believers, people who are not quite firm in their faith, and they say, I don't want to pray. I don't know how to pray. I get that. It can be discouraging or it can be uh, just insecure to open your mouth and talk to God in front of other people. The simpler, the better is what we're about to see because they went on for hours and it meant nothing And you see that actually in the ministry of Jesus in Matthew chapter six, he said something similar. He said, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words crying out from morning until midday. Do not be like them. This is the key. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Somehow we still need to ask him. We don't get let off the hook there. It says, and they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. I love this. He's trash talking in the showdown, saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. He's like, you actually have to speak louder. He's only a God. He must not hear you. It just, it just goes back to that thing of, actually, for your, your father, your father, the real God, he knows what you need before you even ask him. You have to raise your voice and jump up and down and act like a maniac, which is what they start doing. It says, 
for he is a God. Either he is musing or he's <laughs> relieving himself. I love that. Like he, he's kind of shameless here. He's just, he's just making him who he really is. He's just this nothing burger of a God. And he's like, well, he, he's hard of hearing. He's in the bathroom. Like, what's his problem? So they up the ante, he says, or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. You know, he's just like this old guy that doesn't, you know, he can't hear, he's incontinent. I don't know, it's like, you know, but Elijah's just shameless about this. It says, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, which is just the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Isn't that amazing? What a stinking circus this is. They're bleeding, screaming, ranting for hours. And it all sounds so crazy, which is, which is why Elijah mocks them but I gotta just sort of pause for a moment here and just say, actually abusing ourselves to please God is a common human tradition. You realize that? Like we, we do this even as Christians. We guilt and condemn ourselves thinking that's, that's what God wants. He, he wants me to, he wants me to wallow. He wants me to be angry with myself. He wants me to, to feel less than him. And actually, we, we condemn ourselves or we sacrifice things in order to cleanse our conscience, you know? Well, if I give this up, God will be pleased with me. Well, really? It's not even necessarily out of obedience. We don't know that that's what he's calling us to do. We, 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 just, we just think, well, maybe. Maybe this will get his attention. But, but just this sense of guilt that we carry, we're constantly trying to cleanse it. Whether it's who we are and what we've been or what we did this morning or yesterday or last week, and it's true, we do sin. But the beauty of this thing is that there's actually no way we can cleanse ourselves of this sin. There's no way we can abuse ourselves into pleasing God. And I think we just have to know, punishing ourselves does not please God. There is conviction of guilt for the sin that we carry, the things that we do, and yet our aim is not not to cut ourselves, abuse ourselves, and, and rave and rant. Actually, blood needed to be shed on our behalf, but it wasn't our own. You see that this is such a precursor? They knew somehow that shedding blood was gonna do it, but it wasn't their own. It's not yours. It's not mine. It actually is the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a common human tradition is to try to pay the price on our own, to try to punish ourselves into God's favor. You don't have to. You don't have to do that. What a perfect picture of what not to do and how silly it really is. Most of us are tempted in some way to do this, but we can be free, free to go to our loving Father that does not have to be appeased by abusing ourselves. Let's pick it up in verse 30. 
Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. I love that because these rebellious people who would say, yeah, let's put God to the test. He just says, come near to me. This is the man of God who represented God and he said, come near to me. Do you do that with the most despicable people in your life? The people you feel that are far from God, do you say, come near to me or do you go near to them? This is a little prompt for that. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. What is he doing there? Well, he's reminding them of who they are. The special possession of God. Do you remember that God took you out and established you in 12 tribes? I don't know if they were in a circle, in a line, whatever it was. But actually he took 12 stones to remind them of who they are. Oh man, this is so good because we need that, don't we? We forget who we are that we are children of God, loved by him, that he wants to lavish his fatherly love upon us, and that's exactly what he wanted to do right here. And Elijah just says, remember who you are. Remember by these 12 stones. We need these reminders because we forget who we are. We are his. When we go to him, We have to remember we're not cast out into utter darkness. We're not owned by somebody else. We're actually his very own children. And then it says, and this is where he just piles it on. Home field advantage, him alone, they picked the bull. It says, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. So so he's just going to soak this thing that's supposed to start on fire. I don't know if you camp. (laughs) But soaking whatever you're trying to light on fire with water is not a good idea. But he's like, actually, I just, I'm demonstrating here. I just want to show you. Not can, he, not can he just do it. He can overcome all the odds already, including some fresh odds. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar. It's like a pool now that's gonna be set on fire and also, and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and, oh, here's another one, so good, and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God 
and that you have turned their hearts back. I just want to say it one more time. Prayer is simple. 30-second prayer as opposed to their hours of screaming and carrying on in this bloody disaster. And what does he do? He reminds them who they are, which is what we need to remember, and then they remind them who he is, which is what we need to remember. We are your 12 tribes, your special possession. We are your children, and you are God. I mean, it sounds dog simple. And I think that's the point. He doesn't carry on. And they tell us exactly what he said. I love that. I love that because they can say, and then he prayed some really magical prayer and that's why it happened. He, he didn't though. He just prayed a very simple prayer. Prayer is simple. And of course, that simple prayer precedes verse 38. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering that was soaking wet and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. It's all they could say, oh my gosh, wow. The Lord. Amen. Did I drop out there? Just for a moment. He wanted you to just soak that up in my silence. <laughs> the crazy thing is, like, fire doesn't consume water unless there's a whole lot of fire and a very little bit of water. But still, even then, it doesn't consume stones. Like, it just doesn't. It's impossible. What happened, you get this, right? What happened is impossible. It's impossible. Fire doesn't just consume stones in an instant. And of course, you're like, well, he's God. I mean, frankly, this is a pretty small thing for God. He could just destroy the earth. But still, he, he brings this kind of naturally impossible thing to bear, doesn't he? It's a small impossible thing. It's not splitting the earth in half. It's a, it, it, I just looked at it and I was like, that's impossible, but it's a small impossible thing. Isn't that interesting? He wants to work in small impossible things, I think. He, he, God could raise everybody from the dead right now all at once, but instead he had Jesus raise Lazarus, one, one guy, right? It's, it's in the small impossible things, I think. It says, and Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let no one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. That's pretty brutal, actually. And you realize that in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, it says, anybody who leads my people to worship idols shall be killed. So he's just making good on what he said. And that is sober because while he is loving and he is kind and he is so gracious and he is willing to come close and prove himself, he is also absolutely <laughs> decisive. Yeah. And he does what he says that he will do. And so he slaughters them. Whew. I love this at the end of the passage here. It says, and Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink for there is a sound of rushing rain. Good news, Ahab. The rain is coming. 
this despicable guy. And he's like, bless you. And that was on God's command. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And this, this part, man, this is, it just keeps coming in this story. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. What I love about this is, prayer is simple, but Elijah gets serious. He kind of goes next level here. He's in like, he put his, I, I want to ask everybody to put their head between their knees. I'm not going to, but like, it's, it's a thing, you know, you're in the crash position. You're in the fetal position. Whatever you call it, this is intense. But he's so intent on seeing the rain and he's pushing in. And it doesn't appear that he prays for hours and we don't even know what he prays. As you see, it actually won't say what he says, but we know now from the previous chapter and from this chapter, it's simple. It's just simple, but he's intent on it. What I find so crazy about that is, verse one, just want to go back to it real quickly. Verse one says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab, I will send rain upon the earth. What is the point of him even praying? God said he was going to do it, but he, just doesn't, he doesn't just go out and go, okay, Lord, you said you're going to do it, go for it. Like he gets into the fetal position and he travails before God for something he already said he was going to do. Does that sound familiar to you? See, us praying what God already said he would do is precisely what we're supposed to be doing all the time. Yeah, this is nothing new. God said he wants to redeem his people. God said he wants to heal us. God said he wants to provide for us. All of these promises are already there and you're like, okay, well, he already knows. Like Jesus said in Matthew 6, what I'm gonna pray. Why bother? I don't know. I don't know. But he calls us to do it and actually, Elijah does it. For as powerful as he is, and the fact that God already said he was going to do it, he leans in so desperately, right? Isn't that almost a picture of desperation in this moment for something God already said he would do? But that's our pattern. That's our model. He said, go up now, look toward the sea. It gets better. It gets better as an encouragement to us. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. Sorry, Elijah. You missed it, I don't know. There's nothing, my words added. He says, there's nothing. And he said, go again. He said that seven times. Because he was sure, why wouldn't he be sure? God said he would do it 40 verses earlier. Would it have been understandable if he had done his whole crash position thing and nothing happened? He was like, oh, I missed it. I guess not. Well, let's go home, pack up. The people are just going to die. But he just went, nope, nope. He said, go again, go again, go again, go again, go again, go again. Oftentimes, people say, oh, I've already gotten prayer for healing. Go again. He's promised provision on the cross for us in everything. Go again. I never stop praying. Sometimes I go, oh, it's because of my faith. It's whatever. 
It is just because this is the way he wants to do it. It's up to him. Go again. Go again for prayer. Go again to lean in for all of the things that God has promised. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. That was all he needed. Actually, it was just a little bit of evidence. It didn't even start raining yet. The size of a man's hand. Some translations say it was actually like that big. But whatever it was, it hadn't even started raining, but he actually saw what he was looking for. Ah, there it is. You can go tell Ahab now it's going to rain. Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. Just like he said he would do. Can I get tactical for just a minute? Because I just love this thing that Merida says. Again, he wrote this uh, commentary called Exalting Jesus in First and Second Kings. And, and he says, what do we see here? And I just want to throw this up for you. What do we see that Elijah does right here that we can emulate? And it's not about steps and it's not about a formula, but it's about a disposition and it's about a posture and it's about how we live and what we give ourselves to. Have a relationship with the living God. Step one. <laughs> Seek the glory of God. Elijah was not trying to get anything for himself. He just wanted them to see how glorious he is. Of course, this isn't just simple steps because they're not easy. Pray for rebels to turn to God. I love that one. You think, well, that guy, that guy's impossible. Really? Because God is the God of the small impossible things. Who is the person you know you're like, they just would never, they will never believe in God. Are you convinced of his power? Are you convinced of his consuming fire that can take the soggiest of us and set us on fire? Are you convinced? Get alone with God. The tag onto that Matthew 6 passage is, Go and be with your father in quiet. I gotta be honest, I, God's been challenging me in this. I pray a lot, but I, I've just neglected this. I've neglected the intensity that my heart is calling me to in this. It's to go and be alone. I pray all the time, but there's this. There's this that he's calling me to that I know he's going, actually, come on. There's opportunity here. Get alone with him. Cry out to him in secret. Pray with the promises of God. Just stick him in front of you and say, you said, you said, and don't relent until you see it. It's what Elijah did. It's why we have this story in the first place. And then keep on asking to receive from God. If there's anything we see, it's persistence. Marita says, don't stop praying for your lost friend or family member. Don't stop praying for the fire of revival to fall upon your city. Don't stop praying for God to grant you wisdom and boldness and faith. Don't stop praying. Go again. Go again and again and again. Yeah, we, we need to do this. We need this reminder. Sometimes God answers immediately, but often we must persist 
in prayer until we see the clouds forming. God provides an opportunity to demonstrate to them who he is. He's willing to prove it. I think he's willing to prove it over and over and over. That's part of why prayer is so important. Can I, can I reiterate Trav's call to prayer Wednesday? We pray as a church for two hours all month. I hope not just two hours, but together, 15 minutes at 9.30 before every single service. That is one of the best prayer times we have. 15 minutes, come at 9.30, and one hour on Wednesday night, the second Wednesday of the month. See, I want to just reiterate this point as well, which is that God calls us to choose. What does that look like? It doesn't look just like I'm a Christian. It doesn't. How does your life differ vastly from what it would, vastly from what it would, if you did not choose him? Because their lives differed vastly because they didn't, and then they chose him, and it did. They worshiped an idol, and they chose him, and it rained. Not necessarily because of that, but that is the situation they found themselves in, in the midst of their choosing. We are continually faced with this question as circumstances provide opportunities to answer this question for ourselves. In the situation you're in right now, what does it look like to proceed by faith in Christ and what does it look like to proceed in dependence on something else? Some other power or person or resource. What does it look like to choose? love to call the band up and we've got some time and I'd love to just worship for a moment and also just pray. Are we freshly stirred to pray the promises of God in light of this passage? We must be. We must be. We must know in our hearts right now that God wants to answer us. He wants to prove himself. Can you believe it? Can you imagine? And I love that Elijah didn't just pray for God to turn their hearts. He stepped out boldly to provide an opportunity to show who God is. He made a way for God's glory. Elijah chose. James said that Elijah was a man just like us, and we rejoice. Oh, great, but, but actually, Elijah lived in a way that was totally sold out. <laughs> He was completely consumed by the fire of God before he ever did all of these other things. God's word called Elijah to such great cost. And that's, that's what he's calling us to. A life of submission. A life of consumption. Fully and totally by him.